infestations. Like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be more, more appropriate? Maybe not, you know? There's like a macular, it's like a macular vision, right? You know what that is? That's the, uh, uh, sounds good. Oh, great. Uh, that's the, uh, laser kind of vision, right? Think of it like the obelisk that you're, when you, uh, it's even better to think about it like a pyramid, the pyramidion on top of the obelisk because the, the pure light strikes the prism, which is you, and it turns into all the colors. So think about macular obelisk colors, right? All of your color vision, okay? And then think of your receptive pool, your uh, uh, peripheral vision. That's the rest of your eye, your, your entire parabola. You realize your retinal wall is a parabola dish. Your eye, the eyeball itself, does very little when it comes to vision. Did you know that? Did you? Ask, ask your friends. Most of the things that your eye does happens in your retinal wall. Now, you could call that part of the eye. You could, but, but the point is, is that it is the parabola that's really doing all the work. And what is parabola? But a pair of bellas, right? And, and what is a bella but a, but a, 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 a lonely bella that needs a pair? No, it's, it's a, the shape itself. So much of this world, I think every aspect of this world uh, is coming through to you in shape. In fact, someone just left me some wonderful feedback on a video um, uh, saying, James, my friend, why you got to be all material, man? Why you got to be thinking about all the physicality of stuff, man? You're talking like science and stuff and things like that. And, you know, it's not, none of it's stuff, James. None of it. You can ignore it, all the stuff. And, and, and that's a noble, noble belief. And, and I want to remind you that all of the stuff that I talk about invigorates my belief. Material is the canvas of belief. And if you are going to deny the material aspects of this world, I personally think that you are sitting on the bench, that you are missing the texture party. That is, this is a giant texture party. The entire life that you're experiencing is a texture party. And you're like, yeah, you know, I don't really want to touch things. And you've come to a cuddle party. And as soon as you walk to the cuddle party, you're like, yeah, I don't like to be touched. Is that okay? And yeah, it's okay. Of course course but it does just kind of make other people it's kind of like going to a new beach and 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 claiming that your nudity involves you wearing wearing clothing it's i get it way to be independent but you are changing the vibe of everyone else on the new beach isn't that weird how it works if nothing nothing proves how symbiotic we are then the rules at a new beach i've never been to a nude beach I got to tell you, new beaches, quicksand, right? Treasure maps, uh, pits that have spikes on the bottom, right? All those things, when I was younger, I thought were going to be a lot more prevalent in, in this world. And horses, too. Man, I wish, I wish horses were more, were more prevalent. Isn't that right, Trigger? Wouldn't that be funny as fuck if, like, a horse was, like, right here? And he's, like, like, and he, like, did that thing where he blew into the, uh... So, uh, I left 
the last week's video paused on a certain frame and I left the room. I was working on video, cleaning stuff, and I came back and I saw this pause look on my face and it was very, it was very scary. It was very unsettling. And uh, I just want to apologize for all the micro gestures that are coming at you right now. In fact, if you were to pause the video right now, it would probably look maybe even menacing. I, I found it so disturbing that I almost canceled my channel. I was just like, oh my God. Wow. Uh, I, I've been sending that image like into my room, right? Because there's a monitor here. Anyway, so uh, let's see what's going on. Um, I see beach whales more often these days. Yeah. Well, that's, we should do a whole topic on that because it, there's a lot. It, there's actually too much on that. Man, that's a good topic. True Squatch, good to see you. Uh, um, all right. All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's get to a show. I'm going to try maybe not be uh, too materialistic y. Maybe try not to be so scientific y. Maybe a little bit less factuality. Factualicality, right? Fracturalidosis, right? We'll we'll try uh, a little bit less, maybe less brain, more. Yeah. That? Yeah. This whole place is is space, by the way. The shape of space, all of it. Uh, I don't know. How is the environment being disrupted? Okay, now we're going into the whale thing. How is the environment being disrupted? Because my guess, the answer is going to be, well, because of human interaction. And I'm saying, how... Do you hear the flaw? Listen. Do you hear the flaw in that? The environment is being disrupted. Th that statement, the environment is being disrupted. There, There's a massive flaw in that. If you're going to say, because of human greed, that, that's, human greed is disrupting the environment. But my beautiful, beautiful ears, the tiny, the tiniest bone right now in your body is tremoring my voice for you right now. These pressure waves are coming in and it's, conveying this other idea and there is a myth inside of your head and this myth is that any kind of human reaction at all is going to somehow be unnatural and it's a perfect way to enter into today's show whoa my goodness i did not mean to oh how unprofessional me i gave away one of my slides before i even got there i can't believe this you know i'm Wait a minute. Why did you do that again? Why don't you go home? There you go. There you go. All right. I need everyone to stare into this blinky light. And I'm, we're going to reset your memory. We're just going to hippocampally reset and go. Okay. So, uh, by the way, if you guys missed the floaties, I think I figured out the floaties. Tell me if you see floaties now. This is the floaty machine that I've installed on the live stream. And... Uh, um, I'm going to turn off floaties because I think it makes me, we'll have a floaty, uh, part of the show. How does that sound? We'll have a part of the show where we do the floaty thing. Imagine, 
imagine being sovereign. And this is my last thing I'll say right now about whales, but we should do a whole show about it. Seriously. Uh, you know what? Who the fuck knows what I'm going to say in 10 minutes, but I will say this. Imagine being a samurai warrior and trying to kill yourself in a beautiful sovereign way, because you know that as you grow older, uh, uh, that shark named Kenny, that real dick of a shark, like some sharks are cool, but some sharks are just, you just don't want them to eat you. You're just like, look, Kenny, I don't fucking want you to perpetuate yourself by eating me. And you, the samurai, try and have an honorable death, right? You get the Kyoto, you you set up the beautiful morning, you you know, you you open your rice paper door and you're like, it's a beautiful day to die. You make your tea, you settle your estate, you write your final calligraph calligraphical uh, emoticon. You sit down, you unsheath your sword, you stick it in your gut and some fucking asshole comes up and puts a tourniquet on your waist and transports you and tries to to fix you and 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 you're telling him you're sane you're telling him you're autonomous you're telling him i'm in charge of my life you know that right i'm in charge and the guy's like no no because i have to save you i have to be the one to save you and i want to remind you all that the last time we decided to save a lot of people we literally went into africa and gave them all aids we, we did we did we're like, oh, we're going to save them all with the power of vaccines. And you know who we're going to get to do it? We're going to get Bill Gates. It's, it's like, come on. The dude's got a flawless record of virus, right? Come on. Come on. Come on, right? Yeah, it's a cray, cray world. Let's get in the show. There's actually a show here. I, but I don't want to get too into it because I don't want to push too much, right? I want to push just enough into this show. So let me know how I'm doing. No, you don't have to let me know. I have to intuitively feel that. You'll either stop or not, you know? So let, let's but let, let's do it. I want to talk about uh, how life works. Uh, last time on James True, I did bring up these seven quick points that I just want to review really quick. That the Y chromosome is suspiciously handy. For customization, that I would argue that just as there is a registry inside your Windows uh, operating system or there's a control panel inside your smartphone, and that when you go there, there's only going to be certain settings that you that you can change and that those same settings are very conveniently placed in a certain situation. And I am telling you that the Y chromosome is that place. Not only that, that there's certain uh, fluorescent dyes that preferentially bind. When you look at the Y chromosome under a microscope, you can actually find it right away. And it's all stacked with these certain specific fertility preferences, one of which is height, by the way. And that this non-persistence slowly disappears as we get older, as if it wasn't even built into our system, as if we don't need it. That the Y gene itself is almost like a temporary bypass, like an umbilical that's installed in the very beginning, that once it gets us started, it can go away. And that all of these things aren't even necessary, that the Y chromosome itself can't be switched into the X. I realize I'm going fast, but this is previously on James Drew. This is like 24, previously on James Drew. And so it does seem to be this kind of settings control panel that's there. If you missed this, please go back. It's okay. You can, you can, you, you can check it out, uh, the last episode. So, that's the previous on James Stewart. Now back to the show, right? This is the uh, same same organs. It's from a mice that that by by setting this certain XX and XY that you're basically the exact same equipment is splitting 
and one's becoming testicles and one's becoming ovaries. In fact, not only is one doing that, one doing the other, but there's actually a way to make a mice where you have both. And the, the, this setting itself is actually not that complicated. It's actually not that hard to set off this kind of, of uh, system. And you would think that this would be super complex, right? The entire gender of a species, or I'm sorry, the entire sex of the species, that, oh, okay. but, but no, it comes back to this simple, simple control panel. We also, oh, sorry, this is also in the last week's episode, so I'll say this really quick, however, I want to get to this one little point, which is that we discussed Crestview genetics. I've put forth the suggestion that this, that this front man, uh, who's probably a nice guy, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, I'm saying, but it, it could be that he's a clone and that, that there's some interesting evidence to that. But what I wanted to talk about, not evidence, is speculative, very speculative. James is a very speculative person sometimes. Specu speculum, right? But we'll get to Latin later. But that, that he, listen to what happens. This is about, he's talking about the clones of his horses. He says, normally horses don't become, okay, just to really catch you up. I, I'm, I'm saying that this guy also, if you missed the episode, clones horses, okay? In fact, six of his horses were used in the championship race. Check the last episode. But he's actually talking about the differences with his clones, that the clones seem to have some kind of differences. And I want you to hear that right from the horse's mouth. Did you hear what I just said right from the horse? Sorry. Your laugh track here. Normally, horses don't become aware of their gender until their hormones kick in at a year and a half. That's not true of the clones. They become aware a lot earlier and cannot be left in the same paddock. Otherwise, they fight or try and mate. So there's 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 no prepudescent uh, period. You know, your pineal has those three time frames, right? It, it releases not just your, your day and night cycle, but your year cycle, but even a larger cycle, right? Your, your puberty cycle. And that these clones seem to have been born with a clock that's already gone to a certain point. It's a certain level, right? In horses, certain experiences, conditions could cause changes in the way DNA works in their cells, so it's never been proven scientifically. Um, <clears throat> this cellular memory, this is what, uh, this is what actually they believe makes the champion horse such a champion horse. You could argue that it's genetics, but if you really want to be accurate, I think you're looking at the cellular memories because they're copied along with the, with the DNA. So what I'm saying is, is that the champion horse has a gnosis, and he talks more about that. There's a Vanity Fair link. You can see that. Check last week's episode too. But that that there is a, one of the things that makes his horses so much better, or he claims so much better during the polo matches, is their intuitive connection to the rider and their uh, lack of, of fear about doing things that their parent clone has done before. You've heard of the four-minute mile. You've heard that the the year that the four-minute mile was finally breached, that like four other people did it. One of them was in high school, I think. Like there's this cellular memory, morphic resonance, whatever you want to call it, epigenetics, ancestral wisdom, uh, and ancestral haunting, that all of this information is in your DNA. And we right now do not know in common science... We do not know how the fuck that works. It's, uh, it's beyond it, in fact, and I'm hoping we're going to get to that today. But I can't dilly-dally, James. 
Uh, some of you are like, there's no such thing as DNA. It doesn't exist. I, I say, go for it. Build your world in that way. I just think it's beautiful. I see the code. These are, uh, the one on the right is actually the first x-ray image of, of DNA. It's actually not quite x-ray, but it's uh, an x-ray offset and that, I'm sorry, it's showing the offset of the double helix. It's basically proof that it probably comes in a double helix. I'm saying probably because it's really difficult to even see exactly how it comes. In fact, we believe that the double helix was the only method that it came in, and it turns out it's a little bit a little bit more complex than that in a really cool way. And uh, through electron microscopes, uh, real quick, uh, our optical light microscopes, right, are going to be very effective to a certain degree. But then after that, instead of using optics, instead of using lenses, you can actually use magnets. That there's a magnetic lens. And those magnetic lenses are placed inside of an electron microscope, believe it or not. And that you cannot see a video. You can only bounce electrons off something. It's actually, your, there's two types. There's ones you're bouncing something off, but the more uh, prevalent type is you're actually stem. It's a stem scope where you're actually uh, shining through and you're catching what, what comes up on the other side. So your layers have to be super, super thin. And, and this is the concept of what we're calling DNA. I say concept because I want you to know that this is a lot of this is still theory because we cannot directly perceive this. And, and this is what I think is beautiful, because when you start to look at, at quantum mechanics, the idea of collapsing the wave by witnessing it, the idea that by seeing exactly what it is, it collapses the potential. And that we live in a world that's built off code that you cannot directly perceive, because if you were to be able to directly perceive it, maybe it would collapse the wave and you would cease to exist. Can you imagine the day when all of our DNA will be used in an esoteric search for the mitochondrial Eve, or even maybe even more importantly, the Promethean Zeus? There is a code among us. We call it the we already the Oracle of Mythology already insists called the royal bloodline, right? the Holy Grail, that there is the Holy Grail is basically coming down and being uh, distributed as code. It's code, baby. It's code. DNA is fascinating. And it has a compression ratio that's, that's kind of familiar. Some of you have heard of what a JPEG image is, right? You take a picture, you send someone a JPEG, and that has what's called a 10 to 1 compression. It's called a lossy compression. What does that mean? It means that when the JPEG file is compressed, when the image is squeezed down into its, its, its vital parts, that there's information that's just fucking gone. It's gone. And why is it gone? Because the JPEG knows, look, your eye, it's not actually going to like to see black right next to white. It's going to want to see a little gradation that's going to make it look more real. It, it runs all these algorithms, and these algorithms cause a loss. So it does a great job because you can see a low, low budget JPEG, and your mind builds the rest. But James, reality is objective. It's, uh, I know exactly right, dude. So even a JPEG file is not objective. Even, <laughs> even the image files that we share with each other are not objective. That they actually complain, uh, 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 contain these compression algorithms which are mimicking and faking what was actually there because it knows your brain will fill in the rest. It's fascinating. And guess what? MP3s do it too. JPEG compression, about a 10 to 1. Again, it's a lossy compression. MP3 has about 11 to 1. 
right? So if you start out with an 11 megabyte file, you'll end up with a one megabyte MP3. If you start out with a 10 megabyte JPEG, you'll end up with a one megabyte JPEG, just to clarify what I mean. MPEG, the video format that you actually are watching right now, technically through a strange streaming algorithm that tries to call it RTMP, but the MPEG format itself is a 52 to one compression, very similar to JPEG and MP3. But DNA, oh, that's sweet. Sweet chain of DNA. God, it's so sweet. A thousand to one lossless compression. Lossless. There's no data lost in the compression of it. You know what mitosis is. You realize that when a cell divides, the very first thing that happens is these centrosomes build these giant spires, and these spires of nine create this uh, scaffolding. And when that scaffolding is built, all the DNA are called to this church and they go to this church and they align in the center. And in the center of the sermon, there's like, you know, how does this go? It's like, right. Uh, here's the door and here's the steeple open the right. Here's all the people that they, the centrosomes, uh, uh, that centrosome that the axis mundi of your entire chromosomal structure is, uh, separated into these two churches and one is copied into the other, and then they they split, right? This can this during this process, your DNA must decompress, and it's not the only time. Uh, during meiosis, during a lot of different parts of different cellular things, that the DNA inside has to decompress before a process can happen. Some life forms, as you saw last in the last episode, actually are living uncompressed. They're living a a nebulous life where they're completely uncompressed all the time. And we have this concept of amoeba, which is giving you a huge clue about, about what's really, really going on here. So think about it. DNA, a thousand to one lossless compression. There's no data loss in this at all. And it shows you how fledgling we are. But even more importantly, doesn't DNA show you the four-minute mile? DNA is showing you that biologically we can store a thousand megabytes in one, and that all we have to do is simply look at the lessons of how DNA is doing it. It gives us these clues. There's different forms of DNA. When I say form, what I mean is, is that the coil itself can be wound tighter and it can be wound looser. And you end up with this mandalas that you see on the right. These, Top-down models of the mandala is DNA in its A form, its B form, and its in its Z form. There's there's about seven different forms. I'm just showing you three right here. I love Z form though because it's a sinister DNA. Sinister. Yeah, it's it's a left-handed DNA. It's turning itself in a sinister way around its coil, unlike A and B. Unlike actually all of them, Z is a backwards DNA. And so, so what's going on here? Well, first of all, I want you to recognize that BDNA has 10, uh, 10 turns before it repeats. ADNA has 11 turns and ZDNA has 12 turns. So picture a spiral staircase, right? And the spiral staircase is the DNA chain. And most spiral staircases run right-handed, a corkscrew, except for the Z, which runs sinisterly. But that, that some DNA have more steps in per floor than others do. So they're wound more. And that the percentage that they're wound is part of this compression. But here's what's 
freaking mind-blowing about DNA is that the 10 to 11 to 12 compression yields you different information from the same source. It's a holographic storage system purely built on the structure of how it's stored. It's a holographic storage system. This mandala that you're seeing is showing you these different holographic modes that the same DNA can convey. So it's giving you different information at different harmonics. The um, B DNA, the 10 DNA, the 11 DNA, the 12 DNA, these turns, the amount of turns are based off um, what's the word? Uh, they're based, why can I think of a word for this? The other day I could not think of, uh, abbreviation or pronounce, oh God, I forgot that word too. The little, the little, uh, it's like period, semicolon, colon, you're way off track here, James, but I, I forgot those, but now talk about the, the different Coils of this DNA is based on the uh, amount. Okay, this is going to sound really retarded because I can't think of the word. The amount of water, the amount of liquidity that the DNA has. That the the more water molecules that are that are uh, coated inside or, or, or mixed with the DNA are basically representing how tightly wound it is. That a dehydrated form of DNA is going to have a completely different form than one that's saturated. That that is, they're testing the DNA. They're actually taking the moisture level, right? That when the moisture level is a certain percentage, you get a certain coil, which is which is telling you that your understanding of this world itself is built on your. Uh, I'm going to say hydration, but that's not it. Hydration, hydration, punctuation. Thank you, stretching the spirit. Are you sure that's it? Is it just punctuation? Because punctuation just sounds like the word apostrophe. But actually, punctuation is the entire thing. See? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it, Ray Nay. Ra Nay. Nay. Ra Nay in the hay in the say gonna bay. Okay. This, uh, so, okay, look at that. So, so these different uh, mandalas are giving you uh, unwinding themselves and giving you different information based on your how, hydra how, how hydrated you are. and Which means that your transcription factors, right? These two different grooves, you have a major chord and a minor, minor chord playing in your DNA, and that's purely your compression. Your compression notes are these major and minor grooves. And without these grooves, the transcription factors, right, that climb your Jacob's Ladder and and will uh, rebuild yourself, repeat your spell of I am, are going to be uh, inhibited by how fluid you are. Right? Yes, Eric, magic of water interact, saturation, there you go. You guys know more, more about this than, uh, than, yeah, look at that. Nate's, Nate's, Nate's trying to help. He's like, James, I feel you, buddy. I can feel you, James. It's okay. But you guys are you guys still getting it. You know, I'm going to mess up words every now and then. So I want you to think about this compression that I'm talking about, that there's something else really, really, really cool about this. And that is the piezo. Piezo electric effect. Right? That this, this beautiful effect in quartz, that you have a crystal, and if you 
Squeeze that crystal along the axis that the tension and the compression releases power. It releases power. The tension and vitriolic pressure are power. And what is happening with your DNA? Your DNA is compressing and power is coming out. What if I was to tell you that simply by listening to an MP3, that the amount of heat that your video card generates could be used to unlock a door into a new world of energy. That this, these uh, energy and information are the same. And the coils of the DNA are going to unlock different voltage of energy, which is going to activate different ionic information, wisdom inside of you, your, your timber, as it were. DNA is a crystal. DNA is a crystal. And that when you squeeze this crystal in a certain way, voltage has no choice but to come out. And when you let go of that crystal in a certain way. Voltage will move into it as a result. Oh, Jesse, you're going to love this. Because, Jesse, look at this next slide, my friend. Actually, you're a little bit behind, Jesse. From where I am, I think there's like a 40-second delay right now. But anyway, you'll see what I mean. This is a molecular piezoelectrical effect. That the molecular... Uh, 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 ladder under zero strain is giving a certain kind of energy and one with a 10% strain is giving a different kind of energy. And that that is due to the helical twist of the crystal itself. I know I'm talking about DNA right now. The ATGC is the structure of your DNA, but it works just like the helical crystal. That the fact is, is that one of the things that makes the crystal so beautiful is that it has this slight imperfection on this. It's maybe not even an imperfection. See the beginning of the stream when we discuss natural versus unnatural, but that this, this offset is the key to all power. All power is built on this offset. Does anyone here know Joaquin and Boaz? Because the principle of those two things are a slight offset. There's a king and there's a queen, right? There are two towers, but one's just slightly different. The gender is different. And that from those two comes all of this power. All of this power. Well, Ankh is also the symbol of compression, decompression of DNA. I did not know that. Um, thank you, the Oman. So, <clears throat> water DNA gives you the B DNA. Look, look at the mandala of the water one, the second one. And you see the mandala of, of all these different ones, including the sinister. Notice how the sinister has this six, um, see the uh, six-sided, uh, let's call it a hexagram. Yeah. James, it's always been called that. I know, but you know, I could be saying it wrong. One, it, one two, you know, if, if you were to like, cast a negative spell on a gram of lead you would be hexagramming you, you would be anyway we're just getting way off topic here but i just gotta say that i just gotta say that yeah so uh so you see that and now let me show you this look at that look at that okay 
On the left is a four-base DNA. Uh, these are uh, nu nucleotides. Uh, A, T, G, C. These are uh, uh, handshakes, polypeptide chain translations, and that these handshakes are code. And that this code has codons. Everything is built into threes, it appears. And there's a trinity inside your DNA. And if your trinity gets a certain signal, those signals have meaning. And that your body knows that. And my body knows that. That your body and my body both know a sort of HTML language, a scripting language, that automatically knows when things start and when they stop. And that just like if you see on the right, there's an example of HTML, that there's a div class called container, and that that would be a codon. The div is a codon. It's literally saying in the code, hey, man, we're going to start a new class here called container. We're going to put stuff inside of it. And when I close the div, this slash div at the bottom, I'm done with it. And that DNA has the same thing. The AUG codon is found at the beginning of every message. And the UAG, the UAA, or the UGA, those three codons are found at the very end. So when you see this code, you have a scripting language. And this is exactly, exactly how HTML works. Like, exactly how. And that allows a universe of people, without having to pre-install or do anything else, that now have a form of communication, and it's purely built based on meaning that the mimology of what HTML is, is an agreement you and I have made. We've decided that these things mean these things, and so they do, because we all agree, right? If you really want to understand yourself, understand that you are going to generate one of 20 notes, and that these notes are proteins, and that all the codons that you see from all the code is going to generate one of these proteins. Remember I told you it's three, there's a trinity. So let's say UUU. Do you see that? There is a protein called UUU. And it, if you put the code UUU in, you generate the protein FHE. Right? Now, what is protein FHE? Really good question. Someone is going to Google that and they're going to type it in the chat. And the reason why is because it's proving to you that this is a universal language. And that if someone just types in PHE protein, they're going to know exactly what that is. And it's no different than if I was to say, hey, can you play GD, GD, GDC, G? And you're like, 154? I'm like, yeah, man. Let's play 154. Let's mix it up. Let's don't do 145. Let's do 154. And these same chords, these same codons can be sent to each of us because we have this mimology between us. There is a proto-language built into our symbiotic nature, this mimology, where you and I can express one of 20 different proteins the same way we can express one of 12 notes on a string. It's the same same thing. And right now, you and I are able to generate 20 proteins. And if you've heard my stuff on the Aztecs, if you've listened to my concepts about how consciousness rises and that, the, for example, there was a time when we could only really understand a 52-year cycle 
and that one of the reasons why we had a psychological need to reset everything is because our, our psychology didn't have enough hard drive space to store a longer history. And that what you're watching now is, is that we are peering back at we are time machines and that we are growing with every protein that we ingest that gives us more power. Our time machine grows and we are able to understand and contemplate and compassionate further back into history. And here's the, here's the blowing away thing. It's not that history happened. It's that we make it by compassionating it. We compassionately make the history through the material world. And it takes more energy for us to make ancient history than it does for us to make what happened yesterday. And to understand and to fully see the now is to create the now. That your true sense of who you are is, believe it or not, a purely reflexive, connected, proto-reptile. I'm saying that the needle that touches reality itself is fully reactionary. Why? Because you are creating the history and the past right now. And your ability to create an accurate ancient Egypt is going to lead you to think in terms of three kingdoms as you try and put together that history. Why? Because the archaeology is easier that way because other people have completed four-minute miles. You are tapping into their ability to render the past accurately. And as time goes on, their accuracy is tested with other four-minute mile computers who think instead of I can render the past faster, it's more like I can render the past more accurately. This is time and space converged. We are rendering this reality and we're rendering it based on our need. This is the only compression that could exist inside a multiplayer video game as extensive as what we've just described. It would have to be rendered by need. There are simply too many vistas and perspectives to create this place in real time and then try and play it back for someone. That's not how this place works. That's simpleton thinking, to be honest. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I mean it in a, if you can only think in terms of 52 years, you're going to have to think in this way. If you can only think in terms of 100 years, you're going to have to think this way. That there is a limitation built on your ability to render, and that limitation is also based on your calories and your belief, right? Your ability to find energy because your shape, your parabola collecting shape, that's what your eyes are. You and I are in four-bit mode. <clears throat> four-bit in the sense that we only have four nucleotides. And that those four nucleotides, due to the compression, can give us up to 20 proteins. But it turns out that there are 172 proteins in this world that we can find. And that you and I are only able to generate 20 of them. Now, 20 of them is pretty advanced. We can see a lot of things. But there will be a time when our understanding, when our consciousness will grow from 4-bit to 6-bit. We will simply add two more nucleotides. And those two more nucleotides will give us the ability to generate every single amino acid that we've ever found to exist. That this ability to render is based on your ability to create. 
And you're creating all these things through your amino acids because you are compressing reality. Whoops. Because you are compressing reality too, my friend. Remember, we live in the law under the law of conservation of energy. I've never found anyone to be able to deny that. I know there's a lot of people that insist we have free energy devices, which I think is just kind of ruining the fun of this of us being here. But that under the laws of conservation of energy, the rendered world that I'm describing would actually have to exist, not only under the physics laws under our standard model, but even Occam's razor is telling you the exact same thing. Occam's razor. Don't want to pull another Laszlo Maslow. What is this concept of Zeus? Wait, wait, I've got it right here. Yeah. You and I have this mythology of Zeus. And truly, if you really think about what Zeus is, Zeus is just the electrician, the, the conscientious electrician that's in your body that simply... He's as much of a slave as as much as he's a ruler to all of the circuitry that's around him. So Zeus is really the understanding of how a circuit works. And, and I'm bringing this up because there's every single circuit has a positive and negative, every single one. And you know what's no different? <laughs> it's, it's DNA. That for every nucleotide, if you want to put an A, you're going to get a T. And if you're going to put a T, you're going to get an A. And if you put a G, you're going to get a C. And if you put a C, you're going to get a G. And that during transcription, yes, the, the T is transverted into a U. But the fact is, is that there is no self without the shadow self. There is no way to exist without the negative. And this is exactly how every single circuit works in the entire world that you have to have a positive and a negative, that there is a, a, uh, an agreement, an anima and an animus, the positive and the ano between you. These two, these two things are every single thing that happens in your life. You're looking at an ion channel. And if I would have had $200, I could have bought this image on Getty. I don't want $200. I'm just saying, sorry that it has this credit, but this is the best image I could find. That You have this amazing algorithms of code that are running on the surfaces of every one of your cells and that these these surfaces are gates they're the gates of kings and the interior and the exterior of a cell is is an agreement it's a symbiotic agreement with what's outside with what's inside and that this this agreement is built on this shadow code of who you are let me go back here a second this this shadow self has no choice that you do not get to say, oh, well, I'm ATGC, CCG, TTAC, that no, that the only way you could be those things if you were also TACG, right? If you were also the exact opposite, that would be the only way to exist is to be its shadow too, to be its exact opposite too. And this should be more profound than you might think because when you start to pull apart what you consider good, you realize that good would require this shadow of evil to exist in tandem. And when we look at the perfect circuit in the world, when we look at what would be the perfect human, we would have to do the same thing as we would have to do with the perfect circuit. There would be a red wire and a black wire. There would be a positive, there would be a negative. And the only way that you could get the 
features of the positive is having the negative one too. The shadow self is the self. The shadow self is the self. The sinister, which used to not be a bad word, is the destiny of the primary. The destiny. The Boaz is the slave of the, of the Joaquin, but the Joaquin is the slave of the Boaz. It's the same way. Which side of the water, which side of the liquid are you looking at? That's really the only difference. It's really the only difference. You have gates. And they're voltage gates, sodium and potassium coming through like the eyes of the needle, through, through these sacred city and the pressures both of what's inside and what's, what's outside, the hunger, the desire, and the will of your cell is opening these gates and closing these gates and being terrified of these gates and learning from these gates and transmitting beautiful music from these gates and falling in love from these gates, that all of these things are happening through these beautiful, beautiful gates. But Bill Gates is evil. I know, man. It's so complicated. It is. It's the top view of the Scion channel. We have these messengers and receptors, and on the right, I'm showing you logic gates, just a basic circuit, right? And these circuits have this logic built in, just like logic on uh, in, in your thoughts. The Oracle mythology is alive here, that there's a not circuit. What is a not circuit? If current is this, then don't. An XOR, which is um, <clears throat> um, if, if not, then or, right? And, 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 right? Do this if plus. All of these different logic gates you have in your neurons, in your cells, your brain. Did you know that your brain, the neurology of your brain, we've just found these logic gates in there. That math is not memorization. You were, I was told as a child, all of this is memorization, which is why I did so horrible in school, because none of it was measure, uh, memorization. All of it was building ion channels, and how do you build an ion channel? You need to find a desire to need to know something. I think that's why I did so poorly in math. Because my I only had one math teacher and he was all, well, hypothetically, you just need to know it so you're going to memorize it. And I, I never, never connected to it because nothing was ever tangible. When it's tangible, all my place receptors in my hippocampus, right? My hippocampus starts this theta wave. And as it's grinding, it's learning all these lessons. And that in, my, in the real world, I'm spatially learning algebra. And that that's how I built the neurons, that I can't sit in a chair in a hypothetical and be told that this is just the way it is. It's a different form of learning, right? It's, a, it's not even learning. It's regurgitating. You get it. I'm not even saying it's wrong. Just saying it was harder for me. That's all. Circuits have anodes and cathodes. Vertebrates have anions and cations. But it's that similar. That you have electrons, just like the electrolytic cell and the uh, galvanic cell have these anodes and cathodes and they're connected through an electrolyte that you have this sodium and this chloride and it's connected through the electrolyte of your body, of you. And that you are a circuit and I know you guys are like terrified of considering what man does as natural. 
And even worse, you're even more terrified about considering that this world can somehow be a machine because you think a machine is somehow even worse. But every flower is a beautiful machine. Every beehive is a beautiful organization, a corporation, an incorporation, in fact. And that our distaste for these things is what it takes to learn how to wield a sword. The first time you pick up a sword, ow, fuck, this is sharp and dangerous. I'm going to put it in the garage. No one should be touching this. And then there comes a time when you start to find there's power in the sword. And the power in the sword comes from you understanding when it's to be used. Your power comes from the sword for knowing when, who the fuck's just going to shine the sword all pretty and who the fuck's going to use it. And you start to realize that there's a truth that comes with this thing and that to wield this thing requires a certain amount of responsibility because you're going to have to own all of the bureaucracy that comes with using it. But even more importantly, even all the false illusions that come at daring, at the person who dares to swing something so powerful, that all of those things are a chemical reaction to power. Zeus, fucking Zeus, sits on a throne, everyone's going to bitch. No one should sit on the throne because none of us are good enough and none of us are natural enough, so therefore we just are riding in the back of the bus, no driver, running over squirrels, and we're like, hey, at least we're not bad guys. Because if we were to grab the wheel, we'd be a bad guy. Because that would be arrogant and egotistical. And it's all, all part of this chemical. Stick that tongue to your battery. See, see, see how many people want to taste that power. And you understand. You understand exactly why so many people def defy it and say, get it away. And offload their power. We can't even, we can barely have conversations here where we even understand how important it is for people to offload power. Let's do a little floaty. Are there any floaties out? Oh, there's one. I just saw one. Okay. So um, these guys are, are you. And that these ion channels that we showed, these ion channels right here, little parts of your cells, right? That those ion channels are electric tumblers. And you can stimulate these electric tumblers to call functions from an invertebrate API. What is an API? An application program interface. That there's a built-in meta-language that's here waiting for all of us. And we can use a concoction of a chemical electricity to stimulate these ion channels and create things that didn't exist before. We could put eyes where eyes never were. We can do so many things because they're all part of these circuitry. I'm going to come back to this. The seven sec. Okay, I want to try it. Actually, the seven segment display. I'm, I'm not going to come back to this. I'm going to do this now. The seven segment display has a 10 to 7 compression thanks to memology, thanks to meaning. What does that mean? I can display one through zero through nine on this display, even though this display only has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lights on it. You understand? There are only seven circuits that we can light 
but it can show numbers from zero through 10. In fact, if you look on the back, you'll see it has 10 pens. <laughs> a seven light display has 10 pens because it's gonna input 10 different digits and it's gonna display them, but only utilize seven. As part of this compression I'm talking about, and this compression is meaning. I maybe should have do a whole show on this, but I need you to understand that your understanding of things is a kind of compression that your ability to understand that James is, is me, or at least in this case is me, is a form of compression. Because when I say, James, you may picture me right now, and that that's a compression. It's an algorithm that's opening inside you. It's, de it's unzipping, right? Like a zip file. So you can play it on your screen. All of these compressions come through our this is, I'm trying to hit this home. I don't know if I'm doing it, but all of this compression happens because of our meaning, because of the way that we understand things. Your gnosis is compression. Do you get that? That's, that's huge. There, we don't have a system. Actually, computers do work a lot that way now that I'm thinking about it. The, once something is predetermined, then there are certain codons in an MP3 file that says, I'm done sending you this frame, and then you know to move on to the next frame, that your DNA has the same thing. But these meanings are giving us a form of compression that's like a million to one. And I can prove it because each of us only understand 26 letters, but we can combine them in ways that gives us bazillion, bajillion, infinite, infinite numbers of choices from that. Profound compression happening here. Let's talk about planarians. This is Petey the planarian. Hi, I'm Petey. I'm a, I'm a good planarian. I pay my planarian taxes. I send my kids to planarian school. And I say no to vaccine. Hey, okay, Petey. So, so planarians are bilateral symmetric metazoans that possess almost an unlimited regenerative capacity. And I would like to play for you guys a seven minute video because I think that this guy does a really good job of just explaining it. So please tell me in the text, I'm going to need someone in chat to tell me if you can hear the audio. I'm almost positive you're going to be able to hear it, but it'd be great if someone could just confirm and I'm going to uh, play this for you. Let's, let's check out. This is Dr. Michael Levine. Um, and you'll find him all over the internet. Even more radical. These are, these are planaria. These are flatworms, and you'll see a lot more about them in this talk. The planaria regenerate any part of their body, so you cut them into pieces. Uh, the record is something like 275 pieces. Each piece regrows exactly what's missing, including the brain, and you get perfect little worms. So um, James McConnell, back in the 60s, made an observation, and uh, it was um, uh, you know, quite controversial at the time, but we repeated it and, and actually discovered he was, he was absolutely right. Uh, what happens is that if you if you train these planaria to recognize a particular region of their environment, let's say one with these little little bumps laser etched into it as the place where they get fed, you can then amputate the head and the brain. I mean, these animals have a true centralized brain. Amputate the head and the brain, leave the tail. The tail sits there for eight or nine days doing pretty much nothing. Eventually, it grows a new, a fresh brain. And somehow that information is imprinted onto this new brain, and these animals show re, uh, show retention of that of that memory. So the information moving through the body, being imprinted from from one tissue onto another, is something that uh, we we really need to start to understand. And in fact, uh, beyond uh, beyond those kind of experiments, you can do this in vertebrates. We did this in a tadpole. So this is a tadpole of the frog Xenopus lavis. Um, here's the brain. Here are the nostrils. Here's the mouth, the gut, and the tail. 
one thing you'll notice is that what we've done is we've prevented the normal eyes from forming. We've put an ectopic eye on the tail. So this is, a, this is an eye that forms on the tail. And the amazing thing about these animals is that with no long, in fact, with no period of evolutionary adaptation to this new configuration, they can see perfectly well out of these eyes. So we've made a device that tests them on visual training cues and sort of automates the same thing we use to test the planarian memory. It's an automated behavior uh, testing device. And what we found is that this eye finds itself in a completely novel environment surrounding my muscle instead of near the brain, puts out an optic nerve. That optic nerve might connect to the spinal cord. It does not go up to the brain. The brain that evolved for tracking visual data from these two locations suddenly gets information from some weird itchy patch of tissue on its tail. No problem. It recognizes that as visual data and these animals behave quite well in, uh, in learning assays. So, so navigating, um, navigating your world with uh, a radically different um, configuration of sensory and, uh, and processing organs. So what we really see in biology is that not only are we nested dolls structurally, I mean, we all, everyone knows that groups consist of individuals made of organs, tissues, cells, and so on. But actually, each one of these levels has competency. It solves problems in its own space. And there are lots of different kinds of spaces. And that multi-scale architecture uh, which is uh, which is kind of unique. It's something that um, in uh, in engineering we're still really not not able to uh, re re recapitulate, although we're getting there. Uh, shows competency in many many different spaces. Now now the one thing I'd like to I'd like to do fundamentally is to uh, generalize this idea of being able to perform intelligently in some space. So typically oh, no. think about, typically we think about three dimensional oh, okay. spaces. So. Uh, behavior moving the body in three-dimensional space. So it's very easy for us to, to, to recognize intelligence in those spaces because all of our sense organs point outward. And from the time you were very little, you were collecting data on object, medium-sized objects moving at medium speeds around you in three-dimensional space. And, and we know how to recognize you know, birds and, and uh, mammals and other things behaving intelligent. What we don't have are senses that directly show us. For example, imagine that you had a, you were born with a sense that where you could actually feel your blood chemistry, all the different things going on in your blood physiology and all of the things that your liver, pancreas and other organs were doing. In that case, we would have a training set that would allow us to understand intelligent navigation of other spaces. So that would be physiological space. So the space of physiological parameters. Um, it might be a transcriptional space, so the space of gene expression, all the different gene expression domains, or in fact, morphospace, the, the, the space of all possible anatomical configurations. We'll talk more about that. I want to show you, um, and, and, and this, this, the, the, the fact that we're not uh, familiar with these other spaces means that when we make uh, claims about the cognitive level or the intelligence level of other systems, we're really taking an IQ test ourselves. What we're really saying is this is what we've recognized the system to be doing, but we can't really assume that uh, that we're smart enough to know exactly what it's doing and what it's solving in, in all of the different spaces. I want to show you a simple example. Again, these are these are the planaria, and what we found is that if we put planaria into a uh, a solution of barium chloride, so barium is a non-specific potassium channel blocker. It prevents these cells from uh, exchanging potassium with the outside world. So when you do this, literally their heads explode. Okay, their heads just overnight, they, they blow up. But the amazing thing is that if you keep the rest of the worm in barium, over the next couple of weeks, they regenerate, they grow a brand new head, 
and the new head does not care about barium whatsoever. The new head is barium adapted. Now that's kind of amazing. And so we asked a simple question. We just looked at the transcriptomes of, of naive worms versus barium adapted heads. And we just asked, well, what gene expression is different? Okay, what's different about these barium adapted heads? And one thing we found is that there's only a handful of genes. There's less than a dozen genes that are in fact different. And so this, this uh, system is able to figure out which genes to up and down regulate so that it can do its business without being able to pass potassium properly. But the incredible thing about this is that barium is not anything that planaria ever see in the wild. This is completely uh, a completely unnatural novel stressor. So, so it's implausible to think that at some point there was evolutionary pressure to develop a response to barium. So what you're really talking about here is you're in the you're in the space of gene expression, which is, you know, let's say if they have 20,000 genes, it's a, it's a massively, um, you know, a very high dimensional space. And you need to walk in that space to find the, the exact uh, genes that are going to solve your physiological stressor. Now, you don't have time to sort of randomly f flip genes on and off, first of all, because it'll it'll most likely kill you before you find the good concentrate the, the good combinations also also there's no there's no time for that these cells don't turn over that fast it's not like a bacterial um, evolutionary system so it's still very much an open question how how do they navigate this this transcriptional space to to solve these kinds of solve these kinds of problems so this 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 to me is 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 very much an example of of, of intelligence in the sense of uh, problem solving taking what you already might know maybe there's information about what to do in a case of epileptic seizures or so on and bringing it to a new a new scenario, and so so I've been working on this on this framework. Uh, it's called T A M E Tame for it stands for technological. I want to stop it there, <clears throat> not because it's it's not great, but uh, um, because that's the that's the best place to to stop it. Uh, Doctor Michael Levine, uh, seriously, you're going to find him all over YouTube. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to recommend one uh, lecture. Uh, he pretty much uh, covers the same uh, presentation, uh, and you'll just see that on a lot of different channels. And I've probably watched it like five times, just because I just I think it's great. Uh, it's fascinating to see how quickly we finally reached this different uh, place where we understand how these um, how these ion channels work, and. Let me see if I hit control F. No, wait, control S. No, control. No. If I hit command S. There. Um, it, 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 at its most basic level, you're looking at a program called Blender. And at its most basic level, what what Dr. Levine is saying is, is that you can pull things out of space. I, I can go under here under the add menu under mesh. And I can say, I want a cube. And now there's a cube. And you might think, well, you know, that's pretty cool. But keep in mind, this cube doesn't have to be a cube. It could be, uh, it could be uh, a polyhedron. And that I didn't have to tell, this is like the most simplest example. I didn't have to tell it, hey, I, see, look, if I go into edit mode, and you'll see that this this is made up of all these different faces. Here's a face, 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 here's a face. I didn't have to tell it, hey, put a face here, put a face here, put a face here, put a face here. I didn't have to do that. Why? Because built in 
to the programming language of nature itself. This is what Dr. Michael Levine's saying. And listen to him again if you don't believe me. I wanted to show you him saying it because I wanted you to hear it from a Zetetic who's actually making it work. That inside nature, there is an ad menu. And in that ad menu, you can add a mesh. And that mesh can be a different shape that you did not know even existed before. And this could be an eye, this could be a mouth, this could be an arm. And that this programming language that's here has all of these function calls inside of them. Different things that you can do simply by, check it out, simply by adjusting the ion channels. That the ion channels at work in these two kinds of, of systems are going to give you every single biological possibility that exists. <laughs> Dr. Levine is telling you without saying these words that the reason why he was able to create an eye in a certain spot on the spine of a tadpole hybrid that he made, a chimeric tadpole that he made in a lab, is because he was able to turn the ion tumblers of a certain cell and say, hey, you're an eyeball now. Which means that there's a programming language that you can tell a cell to turn into something else. You can transmutate a cell. A skin cell is an eye cell, is a muscle, is a lung cell, is a kidney cell, is a liver cell. It's, it's all the same. And I don't have time to install his entire talk. But if you can find an eye, I want you to extrapolate. If you can find that there's a certain ion code that you can insert into a cell to make it an eye, there are certain kinds of genetic secrets that you and I do not know exist yet. There is a menu in nature that doesn't just say add plane, that doesn't just say add cube, that there is more and that these things are going to remain hidden to us until we try every combination. You and I could have wings. You and I could have, Dr. Levine is saying, he didn't say this exactly, but I'm telling you. You and I could have cells on our backs that if we tell the exact ion chain, hey, you're a wing, that that cell would convince its neighbors, if it had enough willpower, if it had enough Zeus, if the electricity, think about it, what is Zeus doing? Zeus is telling that cell, you are a wing, and Icarus is born. The mythology of Icarus, you may or may not remember this, Icarus built thousands of, I believe they were golden automatons. I think they were women, golden women, machine women. Pretty interesting idea. <laughs> I don't know if that would be like a good night at home or a bad night. I guess it depends on the mood. But that this, through this mechanical workings, he was able to advance even further and develop these wings, to build these wings. And that Zeus, the power of the canode and the athode, or the cation or the anion, 
which is how your cellular system works, that by giving it the right code, something could develop that you and I don't even know exists. I'm suggesting that instead of us having a search for extraterrestrial life, that instead of us having this quest to look out in deep space, even more sorry, radical, these are these. Just give me a sec. Instead of us having this search for extraterrestrial life, that there is this. I thought I had a slide here. Obviously not. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. Instead of us. <laughs> Stop, James. Okay. SETI, right? The search for extraterrestrial life intelligence. What are we doing? We're sending certain signals out into the cosmos and we're hoping to hear an answer. Why the fudge are we not doing that with ourselves? I think we are. I think we did it 50 years ago. I think that the consumer scientism that you see now is just our most oblique free version of where we're at right now. And it's built with all the lies and all the bullshit that surrounds you. You know, the wonderful thing about humans is they freaking manipulate the shit out of things because they're clever that way. And that a long, 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 long time ago, these ion channels were looked at. This is why the other day I was explaining to you that I think CRISPR is just a total red herring. It's just this complete simpleton concept. And that we've been finding these ion channels. And I, th I would imagine that a long time ago, someone figured out, oh my God, there's a laser beam cell. What do you mean? We can create an eye that shoots a fucking laser beam if you hit the ion channel, right? I don't know what's in there. And I would imagine it would be just like any other API I use that I will download a program such as Blender and I'll just start playing around. And I'm only going to be able to utilize things that I've seen in the world before. I've seen how to generate a Taurus in Blender because I know it's under this menu. And that I know how to enlarge a gene because I know how to manipulate this tool which sets the Y chromosome to a bigger size, right? And that just those same concepts, instead of think about it, we are not 20 proteins, 172. And this fifth, this X, this Z chromosome, the, the sinister chromosome, is just one of many innovations. And as we start to transcript into our own code, as we start to fully understand the power of this RNA language, you want to know why? There's something, something happened on the something, something, and everybody was talking about getting the something, something, but there's something, something inside their RNA port. Does that ring a bell? Something, something. Because there is a universal language that is going to talk through all of our systems, and those systems have probably been hacked a long, 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 long time ago. In fact, I know they've been hacked because of the Y chromosome. See last live stream. Is an example of that. One of the big, big implications of all this is you start to look at, at what cognition is. That what self is, that what life is. The crux of, of the show today. What, what the world is life exactly. And it really comes down to this limbic self. What is the limbic self? The ability to have input. You realize that your computer is a limbic device. It has a keyboard input and it has a mouse input. Some, I, I have a microphone input and I have a video input. And all these different inputs are limbic 
inputs that give cognition to a machine. So I've just described to you that cognition is something that exists a priori of what you and I define as life or consciousness even. That cognition is something that can exist uh, as a meta, either before or after this other idea that you and I want to get out about what is life itself, right? I think that fish will insist that there is a form of dryness that exists simply to try and explain away how limited they are by their wetness. And I think that we have the same thing. What, what am I saying? That, that we define life by being a very specific thing simply because we are surrounded by life and it's in every single part, that every rock, that every tree, that every uh, chemical signature is alive. And, you know, the, the real devastating uh, irony here is, is that, you know, who's teaching you that more than anything is the virus. An inanimate piece of code is able to uh, lead you to a gnosis. <laughs> Ancient viruses taught you how to use fire. Mitochondrial DNA gives you insight that you never installed. You never, you never had that insight. You never had the insight that directly, zetetically, that things that get that get larger in your neurons, maybe that means they're getting closer to you. And that as things get smaller, maybe they're getting further away. And then if you encounter a baby raccoon, uh, if you shrink down, the baby raccoon will have no choice but to limbically feel safer because you've simply shrank in size. And that now you're tapping into that same limbic cognition because life is all around you. What is the self? Because you and I might think it's a brain, but it's not. And Dr. Michael Levine shows you that, and it's just one example. These, these planarians, these flatworms, these are not uh, a super spe uh, special species. Yes, they certainly have different characteristics, that, but, but this is how your cells work. You are not your brain. You're not your pineal. You are the entire system. You, and that self is in the, in the brain as much as it's in the eye, as much as it's in the skin, as much as it's in the esophagus and all the dorsals and all the, all the tails, all the spouts. And that if you split who you are into three different selves, there's a memory that's inside of each of you. And we know this through heart transplants, right? We know this, that my friend who got a new heart um, actually, I'm not going to talk about her. There's a story of someone who, who got a heart. This is not my friend. <laughs> uh, this is actually just one of the case studies, but he got it from, uh, someone who was a motorcycle rider, a hard drive motorcycle rider went into this girl and that all the tastes and the flavors and the adrenaline desires, the, the, the shape of that heart, the cellular memory, the cellular gnosis was installed in her now that her body had those things now even down to spicy foods to music tastes to all kinds of deeper notions so it's telling you that's the same thing that dr uh, levine was just talking about with the planarians that there's a cellular cognition that's inside of your heart that's inside your liver that's inside your lungs and that Transplanting these things is, is basically chimeraing your chimera. If you don't know about chimera, I, I can't stress enough my last book, Ark of Baphomet. Baphomet is the chimera, if you think about it. The uh, man, lion, 
uh, bull, right? Uh, eagle that the Lamassu, the, uh, this, this goat man creature, um, genetically is built into all of our psyche, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, because it has a proto mythology, this ancient wisdom, this mitochondrial wisdom, even maybe that's showing you your origin. And that's why it's so accurate that it keeps, it keeps nailing how we got here because the mythology is the truth that the concept of Zeus is your neurological agencies competing with itself that when the planarian rejoins, when all these systems join, you cannot have 17 different selves. That it, you can, but you end up in a struggle. And that when you unite under Yahweh, I know that sounds very weird. Why did you say Yahweh? Because I want you to know that the struggle where this one God through the Old Testament is literally destroying 35 separate deities one by one through the entire story, it is showing you the neuro-agencies congealing into what you and I call the self. Next time, I want to talk about split personalities. I've got a video of what happens to someone when their corpus callosum is severed. Please don't miss that episode because it's profoundly building on this notion of what self, but not just what self is, what you are, not just what life is, but literally what this whole fucking place is. Because when we really start to understand our concept of self is simply territorial. That we have a territorial biology that holds ourselves together and that what holds ourselves together is mythology. What if I was to tell you that the ion channels that exist inside the planariums are simply its mythology? And then just as uh, Mike Levine was describing how these planarians can have their heads exploded by boron or borean or barian, sorry, forget whatever he said, that, that, that those heads exploding ends up becoming its mythology. And that the reason why there are two planarians, what did he say, right? That, that, that you can, whoops, that you can, that you can cut the planarian in half and that it will grow two heads or it won't grow two heads, depending on, on its genetic history, that that genetic history, that one life, it stores its first API call, then it stores this new API call that it's trying because it's building this living evolutionary genetics in real time. But that both those concepts are mythology. It's mythology. And that why do I say mythology? Why did I go back and explain earlier when I told you how important it was to see that, that the 10 digit system can be broken down into seven lights and that a thousand to one compression in DNA because the mythology, it's mythology turtles all the way down, right? In fact, it's a mythology of a turtle on the back of a mythology of a turtle on the back of a mythology of a turtle. And that all those things are self. That self itself is mythology. That's why when I die, I turn to worms. I turn to parasites. Because I'm still living organism, but those organisms have lost their mythology that James True is alive. They have a new mythology now, which says, I am the parasite. I am the, the worms that are eating into his brain. That, those, that's the same essence of who I am. The same life. It's just a difference, a breakdown of mythology, a beaching of mythology, the decomposition of a whale 
is like a year-long process. It creates these different ecosystems inside of it. The body of Osiris. You are living in the underworld of a dead beached whale encountering itself in the underworld. But these fucking environmentalists are splashing water on you with a bucket going, no, no, it's okay. We're going to save you. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Um, this is a beautiful shell. And there was a time when the prana of this shell had a direct effect on me because of who gave me this shell. This shell's pretty old. It's like a decade or so. I'm embarrassed to say I cannot remember who gave me this shell. But I remember that there was a time when I did know. I remember that there was a time when I saw this shell and I knew who gave it to me and all the prana and memories of that were charged from this thing. And I'm telling you that now because there's a battery. The memory of the prana of this shell, the material in this shell, held the essence of this person, of this history, of this event. And that that essence lost its lithium charge over time, either because I left it out, and so every time I walked by and saw it, the memory was brought up like a cellular phone, or because the memory itself only can last a certain number of years inside the space of this shell. And I'm describing to you an API Describing to you an API of structure, of engineering. And in reference to the very first comment that I started with, if you're going to dismiss materialism, you're going to dismiss the canvas of life, the very texture parties that we have to live. That without texture, without material, without shape, without architecture, without fashion, none of us would be alive because we would have no medium to express what our limbic reactions to the world or diaphragms, right? Speakers. And either we're successful in our mythology or we fail in our mythology. And that our mythology and our mythology alone determines the rest of our mating history, our gaining of intelligence and resources, our ability to reproduce, our ability to survive. Even our ability to choose to end our genetic line. All of this is part of these chemical reactions. It's a giant machine. It's a beautiful psychochemical machine at work here. It's, and I get that you don't want to call it machine. And I think the same part of you that doesn't want to call it the machine is the same part of you that's insisting that if man does something, it's an unnatural that he would have that kind of supernatural power when really every single thing man does, every single thing that man could possibly do is going to boil down to one of 20 amino acids, right? That's it. I was going to try and find that, but I think it'll start playing a video. It's going to, it's going to give you one of 20 amino chains and that's just the music that you're going to choose to play. Um, final concept, 
In programming language, this is called instantiation. That there's a vending machine in invisible space, and if you if you put a dollar in in your smart contract, and if you pledge, uh, press E7, a fucking eyeball comes out. And that concept is built into any game engine through the concept of instantiation. Instantiation is an important concept in video games because it says before, before your life begins, when the game starts, I'm going to have to instantiate all of the available calls that are in this game. And in Under Blender, the game, I can instantiate a torus, a cone, a cylinder, an icosphere, a UV sphere, a circle, a cube, and a plane. And as I'm playing all these things, right? As I'm playing with all these things, one day in, in 10 million years, I will suddenly find monkey. And I'll be like, what the fuck? Guys, I've found a new shape. It's, oh my God, it's a monkey. I, I found a monkey. Why is there a monkey? And that we will flip out and we'll kill each other probably in some genetic war. And we'll insist that God means this and God means that when really Blender has its own reasons for putting a monkey under its ion channels, that inside of its ion channels, you can pull up a mesh and one of those is a friggin' monkey. And it's so different than a torus or a cylinder or a cone. And you're like, why the fuck is there a monkey? Right? And these, this mystery is beautiful. The monkey's name Suzanne, by the way. Just something to think about. I, I don't know why that would mean anything, but anyway, Suzanne? I don't know if that's where I was going or not, but there you go. That's the show. We have a airship in two minutes and you could join that and you could buy my book, Ark of Baphomet. So much of what I'm talking about now has so much more information available to you in that book. A lot of it has to do, believe it or not, with, believe it or not, six fingers. Having six fingers is not a genetic mutation. It's not. It's actually much, it's too common to be a genetic mutation. You're going to realize and learn why that's important and why that happens. That inside your ion channels, there's a six finger gene. There's a first rib, a clavicle, an extra clavicle. And that, that, that only occurs in certain vertebrates that have heavy heads, which means that there was a time in our genetic ion channels where you would need to generate an extra rib and that that extra rib would be because you're carrying a much larger skull, this idea of giants. We've already discussed last week how the mitochondrial DNA itself has a lot more to play on your uh, longevity, which means a different subclass of code called giants, called Neanderthal. I know some of you guys are like, don't use that word. I'm going to use that word. In fact, I have a joke here in a sec, but that, 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 that exact same call would just simply use a different mitochondrial function and therefore live 900 years instead of, instead of 60, right? Final joke, what do you call a wandering giant? A wandering giant. And the answer is a meander tall. So, meander tall. See you in airship.
right? He meanders. It's a meander tone. It's fun.